Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about this episode, I recently had the honor of hosting an event at Bryan Park featuring Alfred Urey, Tony Award winning, Pulitzer Prize winning, Oscar winning playwright and screenwriter Alfred Urey, and Max Chernin, who most recently appeared in Alfred's production of Parade, the Tony Award winning revival on Broadway. And the two of them took me through this most recent production backstage, on stage, and all of the glorious things that happened along the way in the making of Parade on Broadway. Thank you to Alfred. Thank you to Max. Thank you to everyone at Bryan Park who made this happen. And welcome to this episode, people. A-OK. A-OK. Welcome, Alfred Urey. Alfred is a three-time Tony Award winner, an Academy Award winner, a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's just like an all-around winner. Uh, he wrote the play and the movie of Driving Miss Daisy. He wrote The Last Night of Ballyhoo. He worked on the film Mystic Pizza. Uh, he's here today because uh, he wrote the book for Parade. He has been inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame and the Writers Hall of Fame. He's a previous guest on the podcast, so thrilled to have you here. I am delighted to be here. Twice, my friend. Max Chonin plays Mr. Turner and also in many performances of Parade, Leo Frank, uh, the titular character, as we as we call it now that Beanie Feldstein coined that phrase in, in a movie. Um, some of Max's other credits include Sunday in the Park with George, Bright Star, Leonard Bernstein's Mass, so many more. It is really thrilling to get to have this impromptu, intimate conversation with you guys. Um, I know you play Mr. Turner. Do you play other characters as well in the show? I do, yes. Um... I've named them if Great. you if you want to know who they are. Listeners all around the globe sure, want to know. Sure. Yes. So my Georgian in the show, his name um I chose Andrew Wilcox. Um, which in the picture of the jurors of Leo's trial, there's someone named A. Dot Wilcox. So I chose that because I do play the jury foreman. Um I am on the chain game, I play Carl. That's his name. And at the party in the second act at the governor's mansion, my name is Philippe Dubois, and he's visiting from the bayou, um, and he loves a good dance party. So has a sister named Stella. Correct. So, guys, when I say others, I think from now on, it's not others. It's it's Mr. Turner and all of these wonderful oh, yes. people. Oh yes. Um, yeah. Alfred, when you came on the show and we talked about sort of 
what your relationship to this story and the why of it, to find out that your great uncle had been the owner of the pencil factory where all of this happened is such an extraordinary uh, piece of information to have and such a direct line. Talk about a direct line to the source. So this play, this musical had been done before. It's been done all over the world. And now it's happening again on Broadway. And can you just speak a little bit to what it's like to watch this baby of yours kind of have all of these versions of itself? Well, let me just say that uh, fathers don't have favorites of their children. Um, that said, this is a remarkable production. It couldn't be any better. On stage, off stage, I mean, it's just perfectly realized. And it seems so right that Michael Hart, our director, thought of doing sort of like a television crime show with all these pictures. Uh, which I never dreamed would happen. Right. Um, I think what I've learned even more now is if you stick to a truth that you really know is the truth, talented performers are going to know how to do it. You can write anything that's the truth, if it's really the truth to you, and it may be a character that's half llama and half, I don't know, elephant. Which Max would have a name for. Sure. sure. <laughs> Somebody somewhere would know how to do it. Actors are very talented. They can all do things I can't do. I can't act. I can't sing. But I can hear. So it's remarkable to see how they seize on what they do. I, we have a company of professionals on and off the stage who never stop amazing what they can do in awe of all of them. So Jason, Robert Brown, and you came together many years ago now to first start working on this project. Can you talk a little bit about how A, you thought, I want to write the story of Leo and Lucille Frank and how you and Jason became partnered on that project and what that collaboration was like? Well, first of all, I even when I was a little boy in Atlanta, I wanted to be a writer. And nobody ever talked about the Leo Frank case except Hush Hush. And I was a nosy kid, and I, my grandmother had been a friend of Lucille and Leo Frank and all, all the connections. But anytime I, didn't, I wanted to find out anything, nobody told me anything. When I got old enough to take the bus to the library, which was nine or ten, I looked it up and I read about the Leo Frank case, what there was. And, and there was a, in the, in the, one of the things I read, it said, the verdict of guilty was announced at high noon. And as all the jurors were saying guilty, 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 all the church bells were ringing. And I thought, ooh, that's a first act phenomenon. And by God, it is a first act phenomenon. So I carried it with me for a long time. And uh, I didn't know it was going to be musical. And then the last night at Bally, who happened, and Howard Prince and I, who Howard Prince was the ultimate director of last half of the 20th century, asked me why the Jews, the German Jews in Atlanta were so uptight about being Jewish. And I said, well, I think it's the way of the Frank case. And he said, yeah, I, I know about that. But what, what was it exactly? So I told him, he puts glasses on top of his head. He said, that's a musical. I thought, okay. <laughs> and uh, he picks up the phone. He says, Steve. 
Uh, how about we talk about doing a musical with his friend Steve Sondheim? And Steve said, okay. So I thought, good Lord. <laughs> uh, and then Steve Sondheim said, which I understood, he was doing this show called Passion. He said, I can't do another one. <laughs> uh, so Al said, Al was always very perky, but I mean, he said, oh, don't worry about it because I know somebody that can do it. My daughter, Daisy, has written a show, uh, has directed a show, rather, written by this young guy, uh, and he's wonderful, and he's going to do it. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Uh, I go from Stephen Sondheim to Daisy's friend. <laughs> uh, and uh, brings Jason in, who was younger than my children. And uh, Jason's nodding his head. And Jason said he would have done something with, with Hal and me, if it was about backing point of sales, when he would have done anything. But you know, I saw his show, which was very good. And then we talked for about six months. And I told him about going up to Atlanta and what things were and how I felt and how every time I flew home when I could see the red clay hills, it made me, felt, made me feel good. And he was like, listen, I don't think Chase had never been in the South except to like fly over to go to Miami and maybe but he uh he called me about six months later and he said I got something for you to hear and I went to his little apartment and it was snowing and played me the first two songs and he played me the old Red Hills of Home and the uh, streetcar song and I I'm not a crier but I start crying because he was so bright. And he was on spec all this time when I called up Alice and and he said, and we proceeded to do it. We uh, we did several workshops. And uh, I realized that it was going to be what Hal Prince wanted it to be because that's what it was. And uh, Hal was a wonderful direction. And we did it. We, we never went out of town with it. We opened in Lincoln Center. Uh, which was really a great, huge theater. And uh, it wasn't exactly a show I wanted, but it's pretty damn good. We got just killed by the reviewers a lot. The producers who were going to take it over pulled out, and we didn't last. And that was sort of it, except it was being done by schools after that. Schools that did Assassins with them to parade, those kind of shows. And about Ten years later, um, Rob Ashford, who had been an assistant choreographer for the Lincoln Center Show, was working at the Don Mar in London. And they, they said, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to do a parade. So Jason and I went to London. We realized we, that was a big production like the one we have now. This was tiny. This was 10, you know, 15 actors. And nine pieces, nine orchestra. And uh, we did a lot of rewriting because we never had a chance to do that. And we had 10 years to think about. And we took out some stuff and put in some stuff and put in the character. We did it in London and it was very well seen. And uh, then it was done in Los Angeles, been done all over the place. And uh, then, come 15 years later, or parade, and uh, I, we had done a 
there was a reading of it right before the pandemic, Ben and Michaela, and it was good. And uh, I didn't think about it anymore. And all this happened. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful production. And the timing, unfortunately, was good because um, the times caught up with the material. What was just sort of, I don't want to think about that during 25 years ago during the Clinton administration, it's now vibrant and occurring. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it was certainly good for Well, as an audience member, it is such an incredible intersection of racism, anti-Semitism, with this incredible love story, sort of all working together. I know that I was very much aware of Parade the first time it came out. I had done Ballyhoo, and so wherever Alfred went, I went to see what he was doing. But what was your, Max, awareness of the show the music, as as you, we were talking before we started recording, that you were a musical theater major who went through a conservatory program. Was that a cast recording that was near and dear to your heart? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Jason's music came to me first through, you know, the telephone line of theater camp kids that say, listen to these albums, listen to Songs for New World, Last Five Years, and Parade. And... Uh, Leo's song, It's Hard to Speak My Heart, was actually one of the first songs I sang with my voice teacher when I was learning how to sing in general. So this score and this music has been with me for my whole life. Um, and yeah, my senior year in college, my like big scene that I did was um, All the Wasted Time. It was Leo and Lucille and All the Wasted Time. And so... This show is it it's it's iconic to me um, and it feels very much like a big part of the American musical theater canon. Um, and it's just an honor to be to be in this production and to to follow that line that has that has taken me here. Yeah. Well, I think about like Sunday in the Park with George Parade. I mean, when we think about the canon, as it were, and and shows that are speaking to generations and generations of musical theater lovers, like that you have been in both of those productions that started it on course. You know, Alfred modestly before we started talking was like, I didn't know that it would have a, a run on Broadway after this. Oh, you know, I know, I know. And that's what I love about you, because with that cast, with that material and the timing and the energy around it, it was already impossible. I mean, encores is hard to get tickets for anyway because they are these star-studded, glorious productions, and anyone who loves musical theater is like gobbling up the tickets. So, so for something like that, you know, I was there at the gala night of Parade, and I saw Jenny Gersten, and and I was like, you know, with a wink, she was like, "It's certainly. I would love for it to have a life afterwards." And. And alas, it has. I want to talk about, I mean, you are so wonderful in the show um, and also have this added exciting thing of getting to be in the show every night. Ben Platt is your scene partner on the nights that he's playing Leo Frank. And then also knowing that at any moment, either predetermined because Beanie Feldstein got married and you knew those dates or... Or he's a human being, and you never know when it's going to happen. Um, there has been so much conversation about how we must honor 
and support people who cover parts, especially post-COVID. When we came back, it went from producers sort of like, don't tell anyone you're going on, which is how it was when I started out. It was like, don't let anyone know in understudies in the show tonight. To now, there's this whole underground sort of movement of people who only want to go see a show when someone is covering the role. Like people not only understand, oh, we are seeing the next Ben Platt, as it were, <laughs> or or whoever we we admire and has kind of taken the mantle. Um, and also there's nothing more thrilling than the energy of in an audience and from the other cast members in a show when their beloved cover comes on and does the part. So I want to talk to you about how it has been. This is a really, I don't care if you were doing this in like a high school production, as Alfred said, or on Broadway. The part of Leo Frank is one of the most magnificent roles that any actor can play. And you get to step into that role um, many times and observe it on on the other night. So can you talk about the first time you went on? um, Sure. What was that like? Did you have rehearsal beyond your stage manager and other covers? playing the other parts and kind of talk us through that night. Yeah, yeah. So that night, it's wild to know, to see a date on a calendar and know that it's happening for quite some time. Um, But I was blessed with a wonderful infrastructure that has come from our stage management team. Justin Scribner is incredible. Um, And they really allowed time for me to investigate the scenes as an actor would, not just stand here, be in your light. Um, and then Michaela herself wanted to rehearse with me. So we had an hour and a half to step through all of our material. And that just set me up for success when I arrived on on Friday. It was familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I could really show up and and live in Leo as opposed to just have this kind of panic that I'm in the, you know, hopefully I'm in the right place at the right time. Um, and... Everyone I've ever known, ever, and my whole family came. Um, well, that's the beauty of knowing. Right, right. Dave. So yeah. it was an electrifying audience. Um, and yeah, for me, I've I've understudied in every show I've done. I understudied in Bright Star. I understudied George and Sunday in the Park. But I've never got to go on. So there was this kind of duality of getting to to take Leo's journey, but also experiencing it as as an actor um, and singing a song like This Is Not Over Yet and saying to this, to an audience, saying to casting directors in the city that haven't quite given me my chance, like, I am, I'm here, I can do this. And um, to receive everything back was really just an incredible incredible moment and i yeah feel very lucky to have had the chance to do it and yeah. there's lots of youtube and tiktok and a million little clips of it especially the curtain call yeah so moving and beautiful yeah. um i want to talk a little bit about you know this play is incredibly emotional and painful and and also there are great moments of levity <clears throat> and joy throughout this script and alfred you're so fantastic it's sort of knowing when an audience like needs a break for a moment from the heaviness of something and you and Jason really kind of 
curated this show in terms of the placement of the songs and the acting scenes where we can catch our breath a little bit because watch, you know, when you know how a story ends because it's a real story, which is why we're all sort of addicted to this true crime moment in our culture, you know the ending and yet the unraveling of how it happened, even if you've read it on paper, you are so deeply you're you're at the edge of your seat and i realized when we got to, like i haven't taken a breath and it's it's intense and painful we were shaped by three wonderful directors each of whom shaped it for us i mean we we brought the material i had the idea but it was flat it was on a piece of paper right and each time the directors Brought it alive, and we learned each time things we could do and ways we could make it better. And even this time, after the, after the run at the city center, there was a lot of things that I realized I could do. And Michael, Michael Art was very good at like making me feel good about doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have to credit all the lovely things you say about the show. A lot of it goes to three three good directors who pushed it. I mean, the love story was really brought out the first time by Harold Prince, who loved the African queen. And he said, Lucille is very much like that Catherine Hepburn character who is a little inhibited, but circumstances make her come on. Enough days on the ship. Yeah. Yeah, the survivalist in her. And yeah. he kept talking about Eleanor Roosevelt close to the occasion and uh sure all that was inherited there but he pushed me and each time each director is like pushed him carried forward and i'm extraordinarily lucky i want to ask and i don't know if you ever you know there are a lot of rules about at what time you can be backstage and that the actors have to have enough time at half hour to prepare and no notes after a certain time. But but how has the cast, the company, the creatives, the, the family of Parade um, found ways backstage to find levity and humor and fun so that their entire day is not already focused at what happens at the end of this story? Are there any things that you can share with us, rituals that are just silly and fun sure. um, that keep you guys buoyant. Yeah. Yeah. So we were really blessed on this process to have someone in the room to help us with that. Um, we had a sensitivity specialist. Her name is Ann James. And she was able to help us unpack the themes of the show and to also give us the tools to what she calls D-roll. Um, to step out of those emotional planes, and so we we end a lot of we ended a lot of rehearsals with just big dance parties, just so that we weren't carrying out the kind of heavy energy as we left for the day. So we had a lot of that built in, and um, I think each of us have kind of taken from her toolkit and found the things that work for us. Um, being able to step off the stage and and shake it off, but we have. You know, into the run now, we have some fun rituals where we can't play like hits from the radio, but we're having a dance party during This Is Not Over Yet because, you know, it's a thrilling song and just hearing that kind of audience response helps us step back into the reality that this is, it is a play and we do have the ability to step in and step out. Yeah. 
That's incredible. Yeah. I love, I mean, just all of the um, new, you know, we were talking before we started recording about the number of people who want to be a part of the theater, mm -hmm. right? And at a certain point, it's just, it's saturated. Mm -hmm. Like there are only so many parts mm -hmm. that can be filled. And the idea that there are now these other people, you know, sensitivity coaches, is you just, you know, we're talking about Anne, is that? And Jay's and, Anne. Right, yeah. and like people who come in to help choreograph and intimacy make sure stuff, there's yeah. intimacy coaches and and just the ways in which there are so many ways to work in the theater beyond just getting to go out and, you know, perform, which is glorious. Yeah. But also there are so many people who can't sing but want to be a part of the theater and are like, where's my place? And exactly. I feel like if you have empathy and an interest in storytelling and being a part of a narrative that is is hopefully working to create a community of, of other people who come together and and find empathy and and um, I don't know I just love all of these new jobs yeah. that exist in the theater you know, world. Laura Lenny, who's a friend of mine, was doing an interview that I read, and somebody asked her what her religion was, and she said the theater. And I thought, oh yeah, that's true for all of us. Said it is my religion. I mean, I learn, I grow, I watch, I change, I. Yeah. Embarrassed, and yeah. feel, and to see a production like this, I, I've never been a part of a show that's this remarkable, this loved and petted. I haven't either. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's just to, mm -hmm. but I don't know because I'm not there every night, but I feel it. Uh, but it is for people who love it, like you love it, you love it, and I love it. It is kind of a religion which keeps us going. Well, right now there's only a few more weeks left to see Parade in this version on Broadway. Um, but as you said, it it will continue to be done forever. I assume it's often done in the South and that must be incredible, or I hope that it will be um, so that more people who lived it can kind of understand more the history of where they come from. Well, it's been done in Atlanta with Pickett's and a crazy woman who says she's married Faggot's niece and wears her hair with the corks with girls and comes around so it's a little spooky but uh, uh I, I i know the schools do it the style yeah 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 i know justin our stage manager told me that the mti who has the rights for the show asked for our version to then to be able to offer it to folks well i, I said and you said that was okay yeah no, i said i don't want to do it anymore unless we can put this in so that cool it's all in it. Great. Well, this is it. And what a glorious thing for something, as we said, like it's like a cat. It just has many, many lives. This show, um, it's it's not just important. It's a glorious time in the theater. Like it really is one of the most uniquely special productions I've ever seen. And Max, I am just so happy that you have gotten to do it so many times now and also you are one of the rare people who have been able to experience it from a lot of different aspects of the yeah. storytelling yeah. um my last question for you is on the nights that you are going on as leo and you are working with the actor playing mr turner mm -hmm. and is that like the mo are you like wait did i say that is he saying what's like do you ever go like wait who am i well it's interesting because i only hear these lines as i speak them so an experience I had 
while I was playing Leo was, oh, that's an interesting way to say that. <laughs> and, so, and I'm like trying to bank that in my memory, but I'm also trying to be incredibly present sure. at Leo. So it, it's sweet, but it's it's been um, Tanner, one of our sweet swings, which is just great to see him shine yeah. in that role too and see how he his take on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations uh, to everyone involved in Parade. Alfred and Max, thank you for uh, this rain date and doing this with me anyway. I'm so honored to have you on. And thank, thank you to Ryan Park and all thank of you, you guys for like so quickly pulling this together for us. And Parade is on until when? Three more weeks. Huh? Three more weeks. We run through August 6th. Yeah. Okay. But the cast recording is just absolutely stunning. So it can live in our cars and in yes. our ears and everywhere we go. Yeah. Uh, for the rest of our lives oh, yeah. with all of your beautiful voices on it. And Alfred, my old dear friend, it is just amazing to have reunited with you so often oh, this year. Pretty awesome. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. And until next time. fact now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on youtube that's right i have a youtube channel it's called little known facts with alana levine catchy right subscribe and enjoy little known fact if you want to donate to the podcast just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations thank you so much in advance for your generosity have a great day Clouds can make the wind blow.